This is the tenth voice. Kansas City's LGBTQ Plus Radio Magazine. The tenth voice, because we refuse to be silent. Good afternoon, KKFI listeners, and welcome to this week's edition of The Tenth Voice. I am Rachel. I am here live in Studio A here at KKFI's World Headquarters. I am joined in the studio today by Fiona. Hi there, Fiona. Hey, Rachel. When you say that, it always makes me wonder how many branches all over the world we have. It's a mystery. It could be many. It could be none. We don't know. But this is the world headquarters, undisputedly, right? <laughs> Unless there's a secret world headquarters that they haven't told us about. Maybe we don't actually have the right clearance to know where the real headquarters is. Where the is. shadow headquarters is that's uh-huh. controlling us all. Yeah. There are a lot of cameras in here, so you might be onto something. Have you noticed that drone just hovering around <laughs> in the green room? The drone and the sirens and the cameras, and now I'm paranoid, yes. And that secret entrance out and out by the green room and the door that goes nowhere. And, and yes. that poison gas attack as well. <laughs> I don't remember that. That's because it wiped your memory. Of course. You must have got a worse dose than the rest of us. <laughs> probably true. That's probably true. Have you had a good week? Yeah, it's been surprisingly good, actually. Wonderful. The weather's been amazing. I've been playing pickleball outside. I'm hanging on to fall slash spring weather as long as I can to play. Me too. I've been going out and exercising even when it was below freezing, but I killed off and delayed one of my sessions that I could actually go outside and enjoy the warm weather instead of just uh, ending up as a popsicle by the time I get home (laughs) and have to join my conference call. Good idea. Well, it's a beautiful day here today, and thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us. Um, It is my pleasure, however, at this moment, to introduce our guest today. Our guest is Dante Danny Lawrence. Uh, They are an incredibly gifted visual artist, performer, and educator. Um, I've had the great pleasure over the years of watching them grow into themselves, and uh, firsthand, I've been seeing um, what can be accomplished uh, when you finally choose to live an authentic life. Um, Dante, who uses the pronouns they, he, and she, is an artist um, who has commented that his head is full of beautiful pictures. Um, She describes herself as somewhere in the middle of her journey with an unknown destination, and she's trying to love every minute of that. Um, His background in theatrical design and uh, working in the theater for over 10 years has given her a passion for storytelling and creating uh, temporary pockets of emotional connection. I love that idea. Um, whenever, uh, wherever they're headed, um, they hope to continue to tell stories while focusing on individual and community growth and continually exploring what that looks like. Please welcome to the program, Dante Lawrence. Hi, Dante. Hello. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Awesome. I see you found your way to the studio. I did. Just, yeah. It was, it felt like a little bit of a video game, but it was fun. (laughs) Yeah. I was getting texts from my AI, you. (laughs) Um, Well, one of one of our security cameras was picking you up, and I was watching you walk in circles in the lobby, and I, I realized that um, the place has been renovated since the directions were written about. Yes, I was looking for the mystery second door that has been removed. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just curious when Rachel became an AI. You said you're getting texts from your AI. I got a text that you. was, go in the elevator, and I was like, oh, I am being watched. Right. Yes. <laughs> All we of... did say about the secret world headquarters. Exactly. Yes. And the cake is not real. Oh no! <laughs> Spoiler like alert! You were in an escape room all of a sudden. <laughs> already. <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, uh, I want to start, as I often do with our guests on the show, um, and ask you a little bit about your origins and the squiggly lined path um, that took that you took to get to where you are today. So if you could tell us a little bit about your squiggly line story. Okay. Um, I grew up in, uh, here I grew up in Overland Park, Kansas, um, and was pretty determined to be a famous athlete as a child. Really wanted to make it big as a softball player, so that uh, definitely had potential. Um, (laughs) And then um, somewhere in high school, I auditioned for Footloose, I didn't make it, um, but I was put on stage crew, and I fell in love with theater, and I really wanted to be a scenic designer at 15, and then I was put in lights, and I was like, oh, this is way more fun. (laughs) Thank you for putting me here. I don't know how to use a drill. I mean, enough of an excuse now, but power tools are not for me. Um, (laughs) And that I... Yeah, exactly. A lot of gaff tape will uh-huh. fix anything. That's true. Um, I've learned that. <laughs> yeah. Saves load. Yes. And then, um, so I kind of quit athletics and became a theater kid and still am a theater kid. Um, made that my profession. Did four years of school for it. Um, worked professionally in the field. And then the pandemic happened. And kind of sat there being like, what do I do? So I tried to be a baker. That wasn't it. And (laughs) then my mom, who has taught my entire life, um, suggested doing like teacher's aid stuff and applying for that. And I kind of went back and forth on it, but did the application, had a really solid interview um, with the school that I'm at now and decided to give it a try. And I've been there a little over a year now and it's been really fun opened up a lot of different avenues of thought for me and processing of like my own identity and how I kind of incorporate myself into space. Um, But overall, I've been really nurturing and it's been really nice to be able to do a job that gives back in a way that I really want to do with theater, um, but is kind of hard with the way that theater is set up. I wonder several things came to mind while you're saying that <laughs> one of which is that you shouldn't really allow three people that uh, a stage crew to be on the mic together because we could just spend the whole hour talking about the joys of gaffer tape <laughs> it's <laughs> true. Very but the other thing is one of the other things is what age kids um, so i work at an elementary school and i so i help with reading assistance so i see k through six so five to twelve because one yeah. of the things I, I've got friends who have kids who are already out to them as trans as of like age four mm-hmm. and so many of the kids get assignments to do things like family trees and have to identify everyone as male or female and not given yep. any other options and I was thinking how awesome it would be to have you present as an aide at that point to try and intercept things and educate the teachers yeah. and stop that sort of thing impacting them. It's been interesting it's been um A hard thing because it's a public school so that conversation is still in a space of I can definitely have it with my colleagues and it's running the line of how much can I talk to my students about Um, and as somebody who's like new in the field and doesn't come from this background I find myself uh, very much hesitant Um, and so I am like I'm surrounded by a supportive staff um, but yeah I, I have like kids ask me questions about what I am or like why I go by Mr. Lawrence and then they're like but you look like a girl and I just like I'm like well I'm not and that's okay and they're kind of like 
confused or we'll have it out a little bit but then I'm like anyway this is like what long vowel silent e is that's kind of what I need to tell, tell you right now um but it's been good I, I I do think that any insecurities I have are very like relieved by the the queer students that I have interacted with that definitely are like oh you get to do that when you're older that sounds really neat and like that makes it kind of all worth it at the end yeah yeah. It would be kind of amazing to live in a world where long vowel silent E is more important than your gender identity. Exactly. I was like, oh, right. please learn to read. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about um, your relationship to gender and your expression of, of gender in particular? Because uh, as you probably noticed in the intro, I you know used all the pronouns yeah. that, that you like to be identified as. <laughs> um that's a confusing thing to most folks. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah, the journey has kind of been a continuous one. Um, when I was little, I was just, I was a tomboy. I was like, I'm not like other girls. Um, I like boy things, but I don't, nowhere in my mind was like, I am a boy. I just, um, that never really crossed. And then in high school, I started to like be labeled as a lesbian wig and I was just kind of like I don't know I'm 13 sure <laughs> um but also not in like an encouraging way you know by classmates it's like oh there goes that lesbian but not the word lesbian yeah um and so I was just like all right um and so I think that was really discouraging in the concept of like I don't want to address this like I was like that's fine we'll figure this out later and then I got to college and the term non-binary popped up and it was like kind of felt like this mechanism of everything clicking into place. It was like, oh, that's something I can identify with. Like, I don't feel like any of these things that I've been told I am. Um, that feels more correct. Um, and so I came out and it was very like they, them. I don't want to hear anything else. Don't put me anywhere near those other pronouns. Thank you very much. Um, and I mean, and I think that I needed that step and very much like giving myself the power to make a decision. Um, and then as I've continued to like explore, um, I've added he and she back in because um, of, I think, I mean, I was adamant against like not she due to the perception of like how I was assigned at birth, but that also has come with a lot of misogyny internally. And so that conversation with myself of like, well, why don't you want that? Oh, it's because you like don't want to, oh, no, I'm put that back in. Like <laughs> you just do that because you just like don't like that part of yourself. Right. not because it's not there oh. um and so i added those back into the mix and it feels way more true to the fluidity of it um and for me what that means is like jay can mean a whole scope of things to different people um some people it's like weeks or days and you check in some for me it's very much like each action comes with like a different gender feeling and like it's like every minute or you know down to the hour um so like decisions of like what i want to look like or how i want to present during the day is always kind of like mm, the the flannel and sweats are a safe bet because those can be anything like i don't want to make that decision it's 10 a.m um under flannel power activate yes two flannels in the building there's a lot of um, today. i feel overdressed <laughs> um, no, you're stunning. No, thank you. Um, but yeah, that's is that. Did that answer the question? Absolutely. Uh, it it sounds like it's an it's an interesting dichotomy because on on one hand, you sort of feel bits and pieces of a lot of different gender expressions, mm -hmm. and then sometimes sort of none at all. Yeah. And it's 
kind of prevalent in our society to try to put you in a box or a corner and say, today you're this and, and this. How do you, how do you right. deal with that kind of thing? Um, I think a big step for me was the process of like other people's perception of me is like not my problem. Um, and there are days where it kind of hits a little harder than most, but I definitely, when I came out, it was like, how do I tell everybody that I am genderless? Like, how can I express <laughs> right. it immediately? Yes. Um, actually, I received a, somebody commented, um, I do makeup, and like, uh, they complimented me the other night asking me, they were like, it looks really good, um, how long have you been doing that? And I hadn't thought about that as much, and I realized that I started doing it when I came out. And when I originally started doing makeup, it was kind of to put on this mask to be like, it was, and it was, I mean, the makeup I still do is a lot, but um, <laughs> originally it was not, it was shapeless. It was very just colors and blocks. And it was kind of, don't, if you want to, if you want to talk to me, you'll have chosen to do that. Cause I'm very much like, mm, if you're not into this, you're not going to want to speak to me. <laughs> um, and now it's evolved. I mean, it, it went through drag, and now it's kind of come out this other end of like, oh, this is how I feel today, and I'm letting you in. Um, it's gotten softer. It's gotten. It's way more sculpted. It's accenting like what my actual face looks like or what I want it to look like. Um, and I think that that helps me be like, well, I've made a decision, and if you're choosing to like not see it that way, like that's okay. It's art. Um, and as long as you're not like offensive about it, we can like continue this whatever we're in the middle of um, and if not I just walk away so. nice. I, I love the idea of the of makeup being transformative and reflecting how you're feeling and you know because most of the time makeup is you know to enhance sort of beauty or features and things but mm -hmm. it, it seems to go a little bit deeper for you yeah, yeah that's wonderful mm -hmm. um, I think we should come up on our first break actually we did come up on our first break I think we should take our first break <laughs> right now so uh, we will be right back after this short station break and we are back with the 10th voice. We are joined today by Dante Lawrence, our guest, and Fiona here in the studio. I'm Rachel. Um, so we were talking about um, how you used makeup to sort of express um, your gender and your gender expression and how you're feeling. It seems like there's also a process that either you've gone through or are going through to kind of decolonize your brain a little bit because... Um, you know, for years you, you, you sort of grew up and were sort of put in a box. It's like, oh, there's that lesbian and there's that tomboy and there's this softball player. And, <laughs> um, you know, that stuff sticks for a while. How do you, how do you work through those kinds of issues? Um, hmm. I think that I, it's hard because, like, I know that I was put in those boxes, but I really loved those boxes. And so I have this weird relationship where I don't really see as, I, a huge issue with them it was more like the relationship like softball for example there was the like you can play softball but you need to leave the field and you need to be as femme as possible when you leave the field that way like people will want to talk to you and like be your friend and like the it was the phrase of like no bow lesbo was like a big thing um, like if you didn't wear a bow while you played the sport you liked the other girls on the field oh boy um <laughs> But I was like, I hate bows. I don't want to wear a bow. Like, I don't know who I like, but that you're rolling in the dirt. Why do I want to put a bow on my head? Right. right. Um, and they could even have had stupid signals about if you wore the bow on the right or on the right. I know, left. right? Like, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you need to take notes, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think, like, now, I, um, 
Like, I, I still love to be athletic. I've gotten really into, like, rock climbing and, like, lifting again. And um, it was actually a big component of me, like, wanting to start tea was to, like, oh, I kind of want to see these changes that aren't going to happen with, like, the natural hormones I'm producing in my body. I'm doing all this work. I'd like to see this. Um, and so that was, like, a nice path to be, like, oh, I can be masculine in a way that I, I don't think I was as far allowed to be when I was a kid, you know, like, yeah. um, but it's weird because growing up, I was never besides the outside, like other scopes of people. My family did not have that concern. Like my mom has never worn makeup. She's always had short hair. I mean, frankly, a lot of people have always assumed certain, like have assumed things about my mother the entire time I've grown up, but like, she was just like I mean she was married and like to my dad and it was just like oh, I don't care like you can look how you want to look um my grandma like kind of does some like makeup but it's never been like you need to look like a woman like in my house right. and so I think on accident there's been a lot of like gender lessness in my home which is like really funny because when I will talk to my mom about it she'll be like could I have encouraged it better and I'm like frankly I think with like the tools and the information you had like you did pretty well I don't like there's been you know other things but like on my gender like you've been encouraging and like kind of let me do whatever yeah. you just didn't know what those things meant right yeah. and so <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I, I now I don't know that I don't sit here and like I'm super affected by those boxes other than the fact that like other people have opinions on like oh well then that means you did this right and I'm kind of like mm, no yeah. not necessarily one doesn't necessarily lead to the other right <laughs> yeah and I, I'm really interested in the way that you use makeup because so many people use makeup as which was saying to emphasize uh, their traits that they think are beautiful mm -hmm. or to enforce those stereotypes that society puts on mm. and you're actually using it for of, often exactly the opposite way it instead of trying to hide yourself and force that box on yourself you're using it to drag yourself out of that box and mm -hmm. change the box drag yourself out is a good term <laughs> i just think about it in the sense of like that's kind of how i ended up in drag and the way that i do drag is very like it started off as very like clown core. Um, can, you like, can you explain what that is? Um, I really would just, well, when I first started, I would just do like big, like, I don't know how to describe it, but it wasn't, you know, like when you see drag, you see like the big high cheeks and the big highlight and there's like a lot, a lot of sculpt happening. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, here is a block of color. And like my eyes are gonna look really good because at the time all I knew how to do was my eyes. And <laughs> I didn't know how to effectively contour and I was like, well, that's gonna be a part of it. And actually like, I mean, there's a reason I wasn't contouring, right? And there's a reason I didn't wanna be these like high sharp cuts in my face. Um, but I also like didn't wanna do the drag king thing of like put on the stubble and that kind of thing. Cause that's at the time all I could perceive of drag kings also was limited. Um, and then I, a friend, was like you really should do uh, the Dick Von Dyke show and I was like I don't know what that is sure okay I'll go to it I'll see it once and um, I like fell in love with the way that uh, Dick Von Dyke does drag and Dick Von Dyke is a drag king but it is glam like I mean like big sequence and it's a full number and like he does like a lot of storytelling in it and I was like oh that drag can be that uh, I want in on this this is definitely what I want to do <laughs> Um, and so I showed up and started doing it. And yeah, now it's um, 
I've started to sculpt more, but it is it's a, like a white base, and I'll do like the big cheeks and like lips, and I'll do the uh, the slits of the eyes, um, and work in a lot of glitter. And then usually it's like clothing. And like, and it was hard because starting out, it was like I didn't want to do anything shapely like with my clothes, because I what I wanted was to like just get to lip sync to my favorite song and no one know what I was like. Which is why I was like, oh, clown feels safe. Like, no one's gonna be like, oh, there's the girl clown. Like, they're just right, gonna it's think a, I'm a clown. It's a mask. Exactly. Yeah. Like, as long as you don't start carrying the little red balloon, everyone's right. fine. Everyone's safe. <laughs> um, but. <laughs> Yeah, um, and the interesting thing of like starting to do makeup for drag is like I didn't need it going out anymore. I didn't need to wake up and make sure I did a face to go to work. I got to like express that and then fell back in love with what I looked like because that was the other part of it. It was like, oh, well, clearly I don't look androgynous enough for people to know what I am. So I've got to put on this thing. And it's like, oh, no, you do. Yeah. Because not you do look androgynous, like you look non-binary. There's no look to right. that label or any label really yeah um, that's that's really relevatory actually when you realize that there is no non-binary look there you know being non-binary or gender fluid or, or whatever actually mm-hmm. doesn't come with a look you no. don't you don't owe anyone androgyny right. um you can express yourself however you feel and if that label makes you feel right then that's you know that's the one um that's a hard thing to for people to wrap their heads around because I think right. they have this idea of androgyny being non-binary because right. that's kind of the easiest sort of on-the-nose definition, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I think those labels are hard for... I think labels and change in general for people get tricky because, it, I at least for me, coming into it, it, I've noticed a lot of people feel threatened. It's like, oh, if you get to do that, what does that say about the things that I haven't addressed in my personhood? Oh, I've got to fight for my life to do this thing, so I'm going to, like make sure that it feels like when it's the invalidation comes out it's more like i need to validate the the insecurities that i have right now mm-hmm. and if that comes at your expense that comes at your expense which is why i think the shift for me has very much changed from being like why are people like trying to hurt me with the way that they speak and more being like oh they just are unknowing of what's going on like and it doesn't make me want to be around them anymore <laughs> right. but it definitely makes me be let like it takes up less space in my brain i'm no longer like sitting here angry at two-thirds of the world all the time <laughs> that's a good um, place only one, third of the world. <laughs> only one third that's an improvement i think that's a, that's a good shift for me <laughs> we were talking uh yesterday a little bit about um some of the pushback that you've gotten um about the label of being trans and mm-hmm. this idea that you're not trans enough to sort of um have that moniker could you talk a little bit about that yeah um i mean there is I mean, we trans itself means just like not identifying with the first thing you were given. Um, and so when I started coming out, there is a lot of discourse that happened around like, are you, if you're not like medically transitioning, if you're not doing these things of like physical altercation, um, are you trans? Alt- yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, could be both. Could do, yeah, both is could be great. fighting with the physical. See? That's I, true. Mm-hmm. That's I, I meant that. Okay. Um, <laughs> Withdrawn. <laughs> um, oh, I lost my train of thought. No. It, it, not trans enough. Yes. Um, and I was, I think that created this very big discourse in myself of being like, oh, I have to prove that I, I can be trans and like not do anything to myself. Like, 
stating that in my my head is all I need. And that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that definitely created a new block for me, which was like, oh, there's these things I want to do that now feel like I am not being true to the thing I said, you know, two years ago, which yeah. was like, you don't need to like take tea to be like trans. And like, that's true. But like, I now want to do that. But yeah, I, like I've interacted with people that have been like, and in the queer community that have been like, oh, you're trans, but like, I've been through it. Right. And you're like, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, and it's very disheartening to hear somebody that you think you're really on the same level with, right? That you can confide in about the journey that you're going through. Because, yeah, we don't all share the same journey, but we're all going through one. And so then when you're met with, like, mm, but you're like, only, you're taking like, well, like level two, I'm on like level 10. And you're like, hmm, I think those are the, I don't know, I don't know if okay, I agree with that. But like, we can still team up in this game. And one of right, you can be the like, tank and protect the other one. I mean, everyone gets you to be yeah. part of the group. And you don't know like what is happening in each individual's life, right? You don't like what that person is having to like do daily. Like that, uh, a specific example we were talking about yesterday was like when, um, a person was like, well, you haven't like had to like give yourself shots and you haven't had to go through top surgery recovery and you've had to do this thing. And I was like, there's been points in my life where I would have loved to just like know that that's what I want and commit to that. Sure. And it took me a long time to realize like, oh no, I'm committed to it, to honoring the fluidity of myself. And like that takes the same amount of work because yeah, like there's going to be a part of myself that said, oh, it'd be easy if I just like did these changes and gave myself, like if I was just like, I'm a man, fine. Right. But I wouldn't be, I would also just be miserable on the other end. <laughs> like, right, because that's not who you are. No. Yes. Yeah. Fussy middle is kind of a painful, difficult place to navigate. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 prevalent in, in the community, which is, astonishes me actually, mm-hmm. because, yeah, because we all are on a journey and even, Every almost every single trans person I've talked to, non-binary, binary, whatever, we have a commonality. There's there's a moment where we we understand that the way we've been living, the way we've been expressing ourselves, is not who we really are, and we and we have to come to that realization and then take the little steps that bring us towards that place. And that's valid for everybody. And you know, the, these sort of unwritten rules and these I'm more trans than you things are so dangerous. Right. Um, you know, they keep people in the closet. Yeah, it's very discouraging. Absolutely. I I mean, I shared with you yesterday that I, I part of the reason I stayed hidden for so long was because <clears throat> I thought in order to be trans, you had to know from a very young age. I, you know, because I had friends who were trans who were like, when I was five years old, I had picked out a girl's name and I knew I was a girl and... And I played with dolls and all of those things. And, you know, I didn't do any of those things. Um, I looked in the mirror and saw a boy. And I saw a boy for a really long time. And I assumed that's just what I was because that was the empirical evidence I was getting. Uh, and and that was kind of the prevailing idea that, you know, you had to know early. And you're not trans enough to do this or that. And that is right. so harmful. And, and it strips away, like, the fluidity of it. Like, and the ability to be like, I'm this. Actually, I'm not this. I'm this now. Right. And there's so much discouragement of that in the community that in the fact of, like, you see the way that people talk about, I mean, you see certain individuals detransition or mm-hmm. shift. And the people are like, how can you be, like, a traitor to this? <sighs> yeah. And you're like that person is just trying to find their identity. Like, right. 
Yeah. It has no reflection on yours. Right, your exactly. insecurity of your identity is not someone else's problem. Yeah, not a traitor to some particular chosen flag or identity that you both thought you mutually held. Right. You're true to yourself, and that's the important thing because you're mm-hmm. the one that has to live with you. Right, and uh, being true to yourself means you're being true to your community. And, and I run a support group, and uh, the significant others, friends, family, and allies of trans and non-binary people, and so often the parents say, well, we're going to change their name and so on. And But what if they change their mind later? And it's like, what if they do? They're being true to themselves. Just carry on supporting them. They may one day find out they're non-binary instead of the opposite gender. Or mm-hmm. just tell them you'll support them whatever their gender identity is and you support them now and you'll support them then so they don't feel painted into a corner and trapped and can't change. Yep. Yeah, exactly. it, it's so important to offer that sort of unconditional support for allow to allow people to change and to grow and I mean there there are so many things that happen when you finally start to live this sort of authentic life especially if you've been hidden for a long time things pop up in your head that you never thought of before it's like all of a sudden I really like this thing and I never liked that thing before and you can't feel sort of trapped by someone else's definition of what a trans person should be or a non-binary person should be that's and especially in our in in the community um that's something i i wish we could just just break through from um i get that cis folks have a harder time understanding when people are fluid and changing and one day they're a girl and then they're a boy and then they're non-binary it's hard for them to wrap their heads around because they've never thought about their own gender identity because it was sort right. of granted to them. Or all mm-hmm. together at the same time. Or all together at the same time, Which absolutely. it's really hard for people to understand, I think. Even people that are trans that can understand that they've always been the opposite of how they've mm. been perceived. Understanding that someone can hold things that to them sound like something out of Alice in Wonderland, mutually contradictory <laughs> ideas at the same time in right. their head. It's true, and yes. It, it's just really complicated. I mean... The things I feel about gender identity and gender stereotypes and how society is, I I cannot actually express in words that it's safe to use on air. Um, so, yeah, I always make Rachel start twitching when I say about ste- gender stereotypes, but uh, I think that's why so many people have mutually contradictory ideas about gender, because we've got so many things that we just label specifically mm-hmm. as this is a male thing or this is a right. female thing. I think that's why I was really coming originally as non-binary. I was so adamant against anything in the binary because it had been like I was so forced into making these selections. And then the like the work that I did around being like, oh well, that binary helps some people. Mm-hmm. It's not inherently like bad. Binaries aren't bad. It's the way that we use them. Um, but yeah, yeah. That that's an important important point. I've I've received pushback from folks in the community, especially non-binary folks, who feel that that identity is somehow elevated above being a binary trans person, mm-hmm. um, which is just so, it just blows my mind that that we are all sort of struggling just to find out who we are and live our lives, and right. our own community sort of pushes back and says, oh, no, no, no. And you made a good point about how um, my identity doesn't affect yours. Exactly. Um, it doesn't reflect on you. It doesn't reflect on anyone else except for me. I think that's a hard thing, especially like when you're younger and doing that expression of you all you want to see is yourself though right like you want to see yourself in things so you're just going to push until you can find it and I think that's where I came from and in my pushback against binary people it was like stop taking up all this room I cannot see myself Mm -hmm. and 
but that's not their fault. You know, like it's not that's not at the fault of those individuals. It's the media. It's the things that I'm allowed to perceive. It's the way that I'm represented, which isn't most of the time. And so, like, as an artist now, it's more just like, great, let's take up some space. Like, take up the space that you are supposed to take up, and like, stop apologizing for that. I think it might be a bit like the freedom of speech thing, where you might disagree with what someone says, but you'll fight for the, to the death for what their right to say it. And I think if people in the trans and non-binary communities could say, I don't understand your binary, or I don't understand your non-binary, but I'll fight for the death for, for you to have the right to express that and to be yourself, it yeah. would be so much better and supportive for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's a really, really good point, because I... I have a hard time conceiving of of my non-binary friends and what that must be like because on my journey I couldn't wait to jump from one binary to the next <laughs> one and that time when I was sort of in between was a living hell for me it was awful it's like I wasn't one or the other and I it it was bad and you know some folks that's where they live and that is their expression and who they are and just because I can't conceive of it or would want it for myself doesn't mean it's you know not right. valid yeah. So tell me tell me this you're you're a multifaceted artist you you do lights and video and you are a painter and you draw and sketch and all of these things has any of your journey sort of affected your art in a way can you tell that per, you know from a perception wise has has that sort of changed for you hmm. um I think that it's an interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> it is an interesting question. And it came out of left field. Oh, you're good. Uh, yeah. I, I think that... Uh, I I do know... I guess I'll kind of pivot off that in mm-hmm. a way that I have noticed the way that my art changes when I'm surrounded by supportive people. Mm. And I say that because I think, especially in college and then like working in this specific scene, there are like it's a lot of cis people in power. And so the conversations, um, my art was just frankly not my best because I wasn't in an environment where I felt like myself or felt like I was encouraged to be myself. And so I look back at the work that I did pre 2019, frankly, and it's all like, you know, like I'm not gonna like discredit myself. I worked really hard and I think that the work is good. I think that, um, a big shift for me is I did Hedwig and the Angry Inch at Portland Center Stage, and that team was an entire team of queer people. That's amazing. And I sat down in a room, and I didn't have to, like, frankly, waste energy fighting for space. I was listened to, and I was respected, and because I was hired as the artist, they knew me as. And that's something, frankly, and I have noticed working here is, and it's just now kind of restarted in some aspects I am getting that again, but I was a college student and I was young and I was a loud, angry, queer person. And (laughs) that discredited me for some reason. Like that was, I had to continuously prove my worth to people that hired me, which was like baffling. And I didn't have the words for that at the time. I was just like, oh, that's the, that's the nature of the game, right? Like that's the environment I live in, I guess. And so stepping out of that was like, oh, I don't have to do that. Like. Oh, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, if you aren't going to hire me and want the work that I do, and that's different than, like, criticism or, you know, like, feedback. Sure. Um, but a lot of, like, I was I was a lot of being told how I needed to interact with people rather than being like, oh, let me meet you where you're at. 
let me wonder why you're acting that way maybe I don't know like um, so when I did that show like the design I did and the drawings I did and the animation just felt real it felt like myself and as I sit here and I start to I have like a design meeting for the, with the same company with almost the same group of people for rent and I'm thrilled to like just even get to start to talk about it because it's it feels like my work yeah rather than doing a job right um which has been like my issue with theater and so it's been interesting to get back in that work and some of the work that I've done at MTH has gotten a similar feel of like oh this like director is hiring me because he enjoys the work that I do and he respects the work that I do and I don't have to explain or justify each cue I write anymore like <laughs> of course my art's gonna be like a little dampened down because by the end of it I just want to go home when I'm questioned <laughs> like that like right um if you're not encouraged right to then do your, like yeah. what's the point of making the art anymore um so that would be my take of like no, that's really good. It yeah. sounds it's it's liberating and 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 it it also speaks to the fact of, you know, being in groups of chosen family and chosen friends and people of like minds. That's why you know community centers and places that embrace queer people um, in general are so important. You right. Know, because we're often having to hang out with you know cis folks, um, and have to deal with that, and, and in some ways kind of code shift a little bit yeah. to kind of fit in. It's and definitely that, why I'm a little more professionally T for T now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that and we're on the radio. So. And I think a lot of the big businesses are finally starting to realize that there is power in diversity and that they can actually be more competitive and make more money and be more them if they embrace diversity and are working out ways to do that. But a lot of the smaller spaces haven't realized that yet or thinking that people have to spend a lot of money to do this and to be inclusive and we can't afford it and haven't realized that a, there's competitive advantage for them in it. They can make money at it. And B, they should be treating their people decently and like human beings in the first place. Or no one's going to want to work for them. And there are other places people can go. And part of the issue here is that everyone's always thought of the theatre as kind of a refuge for gay people, even before people <laughs> realised about trans people and they existed and were hiding in the theatre too. And yes. so I think they've always thought that they've been a home and they don't have to make the effort. Right. But and the, yeah, it's really interesting because when I'll bring this topic up, a lot of like um, my family or like people that aren't in theatre are like, what do you mean? Isn't it where you want to be? Aren't they? Don't they love your people? <laughs> and I'm like, actually, indeed, they don't. Um, no, <laughs> because like, I mean, I don't know. It's it's everything from yeah, like, ladies and gentlemen, let's take a break, or uh -huh. like, yeah. this is your fifteen. Like, you're like, cool. I guess I won't take my fifteen. And then you, as a joke, and you bring it up to the stage manager as politely as possible. And I, that's the other thing. I have to be nice. Like, I have to placate myself. I can't have a response to things anymore because that just feeds into it. And so I would be like, hey, could you just like maybe use a gender neutral term? And they're like, um, I know everybody's pronouns here. And I'm yeah, like, right. oh, well, clearly you didn't know mine. Mm -hmm. And you don't. That's why people don't tell you yours or theirs. Yeah. Like, because you act like that. Yeah, and um. <laughs> even jokes tend to be binary. Like, the instead of ladies and gentlemen, it's ladies, ladles and jelly spoons. So I tend to say an all manner of associative flatware. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think of myself as that weird little the little sporks at lunch that have like half the spoon and like oh the neat little sharp thong things that you use for spewing like pickled oh. onions and stuff with a little ejector bit built in. I like that one Ooh, too. That's like yeah. tap on cool? the nose. 
Mm. <laughs> that's my new identity. That's, that's your new identity. Nice. That, I, I'm sensing a new tattoo in your future. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, you've made quite a quite a pivot, like you said during during the pandemic. You've now pivoted from sort of this world in in arts and theater, and now are in education. How is how is that sort of feeding the artist in you and and your person and, and your growth? Um, it's less feeding the artist and more feeding. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I think that's a hard answer. I don't have an answer for you because sure. it feels so fresh. Like, at the first couple of months, it was survival, frankly. It was like, cool, I need a job. Right. And I need to pay my bills and not want to hate going to work every day. Yeah. And so it was providing that. I was like, I was excited to go work with kids. And th- I don't know. It was rewarding in an effort of like, cool, I, I'm not really sure what I'm doing here, but I'm having fun. And... Now it's similar in that vein, but I am realizing that it is kind of having an impact on how I present and how I talk and what I find appropriate about my day-to-day life, which is weird. Um, a thing a thing I hadn't thought would happen, I yeah. think, on the front end. Um, but I'm kind of doing both. I'm like still freelancing a little bit and mixing that in. I think that the stability and the supportive environment and the way that I get to like work with my colleagues and things will keep me there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that I'm interested to see where it goes because sure. I'm like, I sent in a proposal to talk at this little summit thing about queer issues. And is that something I want to do is like, do I want to work for like more like queer rights in schools? Is that where I fit? Um, can I do that and make art? And like, what does that look like for me? Um, because right now that's super great because they're very relaxed on me like taking two weeks off to fly to Portland they're like yeah go and I'm like this is great this like right now um for an interim I think is like because for me it's very nice to have because I've never gotten to have like a semi-relaxed interim it's always been like oh my gosh I am out of work what is the next gig I need to find it right now um and I don't have to do that now and the relief that my body feels off of that is something I think I'll keep for a minute at least. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so often when you're trying to find a new job or a new career or something, in addition to the generic pressure on you, you've got the how will I present during the interview stage. The because I never tend to wear makeup, but I might do it at like New Year's if I go out with my wife or for interviews. And this last time I interviewed I was like Nope, I just ain't wearing makeup, that's it. Uh, if they can't take me as me, I don't want to work there and I'm going to be miserable. Absolutely. Had you had a lot of experience working with children before this? No. The, the interview I was like, I've taught, I've had like two classes of teaching lighting to dancers. So that was the <laughs> teaching. Like children, yes. That, well, you know, <laughs> that was the teaching credit I had on my resume. Um, mm-hmm. But the interview was very like, I don't know, I'm, I, I'm patient, I... I'm a good assistant. Um, I have a lot of assistantships on my resume. Um, I know how to take direction. Uh, I think I would be good for this gig. And uh, my boss was like excited, like on this, he was like, we have other interviews, but it felt like very, and then he got a call the next day and it was just like, we'd love to have you. And I was like, great. So it's been, a, it's been a little bit of fighting imposter syndrome, but it's been like, <laughs> okay, because it is like, I don't know if I'm qualified for this. Right. But they've hired me, so therefore qualified and, 
I think they like me. (laughs) Well, and it seems like you're thriving there, too. Yeah, it's a good time. Okay, we have come up on the second and last break of the show, so we're going to go take that now, and we will be right back after this. Rachel running the soundboard and keeping us organized. I accidentally said straight earlier when I was talking (laughs) about her, and we don't want to use that word in our community. Not in this room, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And we have our awesome guest here today, Dante. And we've been talking about so many things, uh, including we were chatting during the break about uh, gender identity and whether claiming labels and imposter syndrome. And I don't know what you want to talk about next, if you want to rehash that discussion or if you want to carry on talking about taking space in education and where that feels for you and how that's helping the kids actually see a different identity. Yeah, I think I, I think can meld the two together. I think like labels, I, like I was saying, like as long as like the label feels right for you, it's yours. And I think that that is something that should definitely start to take space in education of like, there's not an inherent wrongness to discussing these labels and they're for everybody. Like whatever age you are, whatever you're doing, like your gender exploration and the journey you go on is gonna be forever. And so the sooner you frankly start talking about that with your children, the happier they're gonna be. Cause they're gonna feel less like they have to do these things and more like, oh, I get to just like do whatever today, great. Thank you. <laughs> like every other aspect of their life is very like regimented and there's so much freeingness that can come with like, oh, and I, I don't have to like, if I don't feel these certain things, I don't have to do them. Great. Like I feel very much like there's a lot of autonomy lost in that enforcement and it's just not necessary. And But I think that it's like something that parents and the adults in those children's lives have to come to that realization of like which is why like i want i would really like to start talking to like fellow educators (laughs) um like fellow people around me to like i think it's imperative that even if you're cis to like have the discussion with yourself about what your gender is like what your expression is because a lot of times i'm like cool like they're like, well, tell me, like, well, how do you know you're non-binary? I'm like, well, tell me how you know you're a woman. Right. Without, and, they're, without and, they're, and then they're like, I don't know, I'm just a woman. I'm like, yeah. great, well, I'm just on my dairy. But I've done the work on that, and that's why I can articulate myself. And I'm less confined in these, like, I'm not saying, like, you have to do that and, like, come out another thing. But, like, you'll understand your womanhood better. You'll understand, like, the way that you're a man better. Like, all these things will come out if you are willing to look at them. Because when your kids start asking questions, and you're not going to have answers and that's going to be hard yeah and you can even see that the boxes that people push you into even if you do identify as a woman and cis that that box is limiting because when i was at school uh, if a boy had wanted to do home ec they would have been told sorry you're doing shop and it means that they get so limited and constrained on what they can do instead of being said Sure, cooking's great for everyone. It's a basic survival skill. Everyone right. should learn to right. cook, yes. even if it doesn't become the love of your life and you end up going on to be a great chef. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, and it, it applies to, like, sports that kids play, right? Like, I remember growing up and being very confused as to why I was separated from the other, you know, half of my class uh-huh. right off the bat. And the way that, I mean, just, like, softball versus baseball and like how these things interacted and like a league of their own was my favorite movie as a child and i was like i don't understand (laughs) they're playing baseball 
I'd like to play baseball. Yeah. I was like, you can't. And I was like, okay. I mean, frankly, softball's harder than baseball, but I'm <laughs> yeah. um, But you, t- you, and you hear about it when they talk about trans students in athletics now, right? Like, where are they supposed to go? And you're like, wherever they want to go. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, let them play the sport they want to play. It, yep. There's no, there's no real, but it, but to say that would mean like, oh, why have we been separating them at all? Like it, it's so much that you would have to have the further conversation that people don't want to have as yes. it goes along. Yeah, when I was a little kid, I was the only girl that played with the boys. And I kept playing with the boys until they split us up for sports. And at a certain age, the boys went and played soccer and the girls had to play netball. And so then the boys at break would be playing soccer with a tennis ball that one of them had. And I didn't know any of the moves or how to play this. So I got separated out and left to stand at the side because I didn't have female friends because I'd always been playing with the boys. Mm. And I couldn't play with the boys anymore because they stuck us in gendered sports. Did you say netball? Netball. What is, what is netball? It's, it's like if you took basketball and made it really dumb and slow and annoying. <laughs> Okay. okay. And thus it's fit to give to girls to play. I'm slow and annoying. <laughs> slow and annoying. Yeah. That's it, good. In, in basketball, when you get the ball, you can keep going. But yeah. in netball, as soon as you catch the ball, you have to stop. You can't take more than like uh, about one and a half contact. steps. contact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you have to sort of pivot around on your landing foot to throw it to someone else. So as soon as you get the ball and it should be fun, you have to give it away to someone else to progress it down the field mm. towards the goal. Wow. Another really no. stupid, annoying rules. Not for me. Wow, I've yeah. never heard of this sport. I don't, you didn't miss much. I don't want to <laughs> play it. And it's played in the winter when it's cold outside in the UK. And yeah. as soon as you catch the ball, it jars your hands. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, horrible. So, so Dante, tell me this. You've, um, you do so many different things artistically. Do you have a favorite way to express yourself? Is it theater? Is it drawing? Is it drag? Do you have something that that particularly, um, you know, if you, you if you had to pick one thing, ah. I know clearly terrible, right? I'm not the person for that. That's, that's yeah. true. That's <laughs> was probably like, a bad I question. Have you heard that I don't make choices? That's um, true. Um, in theater, it would definitely like. I guess like in theater, it's lighting. Yeah. I love projections. I love getting to like make content. Mm-hmm. Um, but with lighting, it's. So I guess overall, I love to paint. Yeah which is funny, I haven't painted in a long time. But I love to paint. Um, and lighting is just like painting in real space. Yeah. And I remember like figuring that out and being just like, I can make this look however I want it to look. And there's something about sitting down like with your palettes and your like the plot that you've made and you can make a set look all these various ways. You can make, in like rhythm and composition and it's just so much of you're telling the audience what you want to feel like if you i know like all the components come together and very much matter and so if you're if you don't have like a good lighting design you're not going to feel the thing you're supposed to feel anymore at least for me you know like i understand like i sit there and i am a little over analytical but like (laughs) there's so much of that transformation that happens mm-hmm. and so getting to like write cues and design is just really freeing yeah. and like allows me into a part of a world that I really I think like didn't think I'd ever get to be a part of because um, like drag has been nice because it has reminded me that I can perform um, I think that I've had really bad stage fright a lot of my life and like 
I was in choir, but I was in choir. Like I was with the chorus of people. I liked to sing <laughs> next to someone else. And I remember like the only time I had a solo in show choir, I forgot half of my verse when we went no. to perform it because I was so scared. Um, but like had a great time. <laughs> um, but there's something about like, that's a performance for me. Like getting to design and do that work is me like being like, oh, I, I probably am not an actor, but I get to like still like this holds the same weight and mm -hmm. that realization was really nice for me yeah i mean i i often talk about lighting design as painting with light and yeah it seems like a natural extension for you i i came at it a different way i always wanted to paint but i could never make my hands do what my brain saw and when i discovered lighting design all of a sudden it was happening because I didn't have to use my hands and paintbrushes. And if I made a mistake, I could just shut all the lights off and start over again, yes. which is for me, the, one of the most liberating things Rim ever. Rim is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, what you see for yourself, but where, where do you see yourself in like five years in, on this journey that you're um, on? Do you have an idea? Um, that's a great question. Five year I'm plan. full of questions. Um, <laughs> almost like, <laughs> yes. Um, hmm, I don't really know. I think that I keep going back and forth on if I belong, well, more if the way that theater is navigating is something that will be productive and helpful for me mm -hmm. in, con in, in like comparison to the harm that it does to me personally. And so like, do I want to, can this institution be changed or is this just not for me anymore? Yeah. Um, or do you have to seek out, seek out little enclaves where exactly. it is okay? Like, where it is okay and like what does that mean? Um, I do think that there is this part of me that feels like I have this obligation to stay in it to help the people coming up in it to know that it's not all of the bad things that I experienced when I started. Sure. Um, this is why I think I wanted to stay in it like pre-pandemic was like, that was the motivation. It was like, no, I like, and I respect and have a lot of empathy for people that leave the, the profession. I get it. Um, but I was like, no, I have to stay here. I have to tell people that this is going to be okay. There are queer people who care about how we feel, about what we want to see, about the changes we want. I will do this. Um, and as I get further into it, I'm just kind of like, where how how long can I how sustainable is that for me yeah and like that's an okay conversation to be having with myself mm -hmm. and like I just I know that as long as I keep getting to make art in some kind of fashion that I will be happy yeah like creating matters to me um and so what that looks like and how that changes is un kind of unknown I know that like hopefully in five years the only really th real thing is is I'd like to live in a different city I'd like to like kind of have a new experience outside of the place that I've grown up. Sure. Um, but other than that, not really sure. Yeah, I mean, and the the cool thing that you said there is that, you know, none of us really knows where we're gonna be five years from now, but the fact that you have sort of a, a guidepost that's, I'm gonna do things that allow me to continue to create in some way. Yep. Uh, and that's really important that you've, you know, can identify that in yourself and know that that's a thing that feeds you. Yeah. Yeah. And and remember that being you is the important thing because so many people get wrapped up in the things that they do that may have fitted them once right. or they volunteer so they know that places depend on them and don't realise that that could be burning them out and they have to make choices that support them and their identity. 
So we've got about two minutes left. Do we have any kind of final thoughts that you'd like to impart to our audience, Dante? Mm. I think off of that, I think, yeah, like, my identity for so long has also been wrapped up in, like, I'm a lighting designer. Yeah. That, you know, like, that is, I, I, I paid a lot of money to go to school to have a piece of paper that says that that's what I am. Um, and so, yeah, the, the relinquishing of, I don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's okay has been, it's hard. It's hard to have that discussion about, I love, I love theater. It's, I don't know, it's what got me out of bed for a long time. And now it's kind of like, ooh, it's also what's putting me in a real bad spot. But that doesn't have anything to do with really me. Right. So that's the hard reality of that, of how, yeah, how is that balance going to happen? Um, but I think that, yeah, loot, cutting ties with objects that create like these bases for identities as you can go along has been really helpful for me. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, as hard as that was, it's like, oh, cool, like, I could do all these other things. <laughs> There's all this other, oh, right. wow. This whole other world happening. Um, so, yeah. Same thing with like label. I don't, yeah, that that tying to your own personal labels. Like it's like I have to be non-binary. It's kind of like, well, you know, at some point maybe that won't be it, but who knows? Yeah. Like, well, that's mm. that's the beauty of of the word queer and being able to sort of reclaim that is yes. it, it's yeah. all encompassing and it allows for you to flow and ebb and grow within that without having to you know, re-educate people about well now I'm this and now I'm that. So. Yeah, I love it for that reason. I yeah. think I was saying last week. <laughs> right. A good word. Exactly. Well, uh, we have come to the end of our time together this Aww. week on the Tenth Voice. I know I don't want no queer love. So fast. <laughs> but there's always queer love here on the Tenth Voice <laughs> every single Saturday at one o'clock. Um, however, for now, stay tuned because coming up next is This Way Out, followed by Wings, and then this. Most of this crew, we're going to let Dante go home, but uh, Fiona and I will be back. Yeah, Fiona and I will be back with every woman at three o'clock. You're listening to uh, 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. This Way Out is next.